This is Queen Victoria. Welcome to Murder Lab, the podcast where I don't just discuss one serial killer, I discuss several serial killers and something they have in common. This episode is part two of Killers Who Killed for Decades, or Got Away With It for Decades. Make sure to keep track of the Facebook and Instagram pages, and keep an eye on MurderLabMedia.com. We're just going to dive on in. First up, we have Nanny Doss, who was active between 1927 and 1954, which is a 27-year time span. It was here in the United States. She had 8 to 12 victims, depending on who you talk to. Her demographic was her family. She killed in Alabama, North Carolina, Kansas, and Oklahoma. She grew up on a farm with a strict dad. She had trouble in her first marriage. He was a drunk. It ended in 1927 when two of their children died in separate episodes. No one suspected anything, but her husband ran off with their eldest daughter because he said he was afraid of her and wouldn't eat her food. So that gives an indication of how her how their kids probably died. His mom had lived with them and he left her there. She wound up dying. Doss ended up meeting a man through a lonely hearts ad. She married him. He was also a drunk, and three years later, he complained of stomach pains and died. Her daughter had apparently already had one child. She had a second child who died right after birth. While her daughter was groggy from having the baby, she said she saw Doss put a hat pin in the head of the baby. They couldn't ultimately prove that it happened. And I don't know what whether it was the granddaughter or grandson... Some say daughter, some some say that it was a baby girl, some say it was a baby boy. It was hard to find out. The point is she could have killed her grandbaby. Then her daughter left her firstborn son with the mom, and the kid died of asphyxia. No one was suspicious. Because, you know, why? Why not? It's just natural for everyone to die around this woman. It's all coincidence. She wound up killing her second husband. No one suspected because it looked like heart failure. Then their house burnt down, and she got the insurance. Still, no one was suspicious. Some sources said that then his mom died, but I can't confirm that for sure. So possibly she's killed two mothers-in-law so far. She went to visit her sister, and her sister then wound up deed. She went through a dating agency to meet someone else. She was a big fan of romance novels and dating, it love, um, Lonely Hearts ads and dating things. She met someone else. He was not a drunk, but he was a womanizer and a fraud. Her mom came to stay with them, got chronic stomach pains, and, you guessed it, died. Three months later, her husband died the same way. No one pointed any fingers to her. She had still been using the dating resources while she was married. So after his death, she was ready to marry again, this time to a Christian miser. So he swung, like, the opposite way. He was not into the alcohol or anything. Instead, he was really against her reading romance novels, and he was a big fuddy-duddy, and she didn't like it. And as a result, of course, he magically died. <laughs> this time, someone was like, wait a second. This, there might be something fishy about this. So they gave him an autopsy, and they found, ding, 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 arsenic in the stomach. She was 50 years old at this time, and when they asked her about it, she giggled. Then she confessed. That gave birth to one of her, one of her nicknames, Giggling Granny. She ended up getting life, but she died 10 years later of leukemia. Depending on how you count it and what sources you can count, from the sources that I looked at, 
and the timeline that I was able to construct with all these sources. It looks like she killed two daughters from food poisoning, her mother-in-law, a grandson or granddaughter at birth, with that happen, an asphyxiated grandson, her second husband, where she used rat poison in his whiskey, the third husband supposedly died of heart failure, the mother-in-law supposedly died in her sleep, her sister, her mom was poisoned, the fourth husband was poisoned, and the fifth husband was arsenic. I don't know if she happened to kill three moms-in-law. We have two in there, and like I said, one reference mentioned a third one, but that was the only reference that I could find of it. The total would be, if, if all that is true, the total would be two kids, two grandkids, four husbands, two moms-in-law, possibly three, her sister, and her mom. That equals 12. 13 if you count the three in-laws. Since they can't really prove the one grandbaby, I guess you could say 11. But at any rate, she killed at least 11 family members, possibly up to 13. Some sources say the, uh, there was a granddaughter, there were two sisters, a nephew, some said one grandkid, five husbands, and two grandsons. The reason she killed is that she wanted romance and she was looking for her true lover. So she claimed that she was killing because she just wanted to find her true love. You know, you gotta do you, right? The ways that she would kill is rat poison mixed into whiskey or coffee or stewed prunes. Also, arsenic, which was actually used at rat, as rat poison at that time. Which in my, I believe it was my very first episode, I talked about Amy Archer Gilligan that killed people with arsenic. And she said that the reason she had all this arsenic was she was using it to kill their rats. But she had so many, so, so much arsenic. They were like, you must have like the worst rat problem. You have more rats than the movie Rats at that point. Some of her nicknames included Giggling Granny, Giggling Nanny, Jolly Black Widow, The Lonely Hearts Killer, Lady Bluebeard, and The Black Widow. How did she get away with it? Well, she moved around. She lived in like four different states. Plus, she did seem so nice people wouldn't doubt her. And as she got older, it seemed implausible. So she was also actually a pretty good actress. Volker Eckert was active from 1974 to 2006, which is 32 years. He was German. He had six to 19 Vicks, who were all sex workers, ages 17 to 28. He killed in France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. It is said that he first killed at age 14, where he killed a neighbor who was also a classmate of his, strangled her with a ligature, and made it look like a suicide. So he was never actually convicted for that. He supposedly strangled a college student, left her naked in the woods. In 1987, he almost killed two women, and he got 12 years in prison for it. When he got out, he became a truck driver in several European countries. His home base was in Hoth. <laughs> Not Hoth. I don't think there's many sex workers in Hoth. It's too cold. 2001, he killed an either Kenyan or Nigerian sex worker. He killed her in France, and then he killed a sex worker in Spain. Keep in mind, because this is going to be a pattern. He killed an African woman that happened to be in France. So in 2005, he killed a Russian sex worker in Spain. Supposedly, he had sex with her as he killed her. In 2006, he killed a Polish sex worker in France and a Bulgarian sex worker in Spain. There were seven more killings in Europe, 1987 in East Germany. There was a 20-year-old sex worker from Sierra Leone killed in France. A sex worker from Ghana in Italy. And that was in 2002 and 2004, the last two. He killed three more in the Czech Republic and then one more in France. 
I just thought it was interesting that he killed an African sex, wor- sex wor- worker in France, a Russian sex worker in Spain, a Polish person in France, a Bulgarian in Spain, and then someone from Sierra Leone in France. Oh, and someone from Ghana in Italy. So I just think it's interesting that he happened. I don't know if it's just that it's more likely that you'll run into people of different nationalities in these different places. Or if somehow that's who he gravitated to. But it's really interesting to me that he was not killing French people in France or Spanish people in Spain and and so forth. He just happened to find or maybe he gravitated. He wanted to kill. I don't know. I don't know how he would have figured it out. I mean, sometimes I guess it could be obvious. But that I found that incredibly interesting. Most of them were strangled. He performed amateur postmortems on them and then took pictures. He would dress their bodies Or he would cut off their hair and he would keep it. There's a story that he had a baby doll that he liked as a kid that had long hair and that's what got him obsessed with hair. So he would cut off their hair and keep it. He was caught by a surveillance camera, showed his truck next to the corpse. So they actually saw the truck with the corpse. They caught him and he confessed to six murders. He hadn't been sentenced yet and he committed suicide in his cell. He was named the Brummie Killer, and I looked it up. Brummie apparently means truck in German, so we remember he was a trucker. So he's the trucker killer, I guess. How he got away for so long is he traveled around, he chose sex workers, and he would dump them so they were not found right away. Kenneth McDuff was active between 1966 and 1992, which is 26 years. He was in the United States and killed 9 to 14 or more people. He killed men and women ages 15 to 31. He tended to kidnap, rape, torture, rob, and strangle. Maybe not at the same time. And it was in Texas. He went to prison for a year for burglary at age 18. When he got out, he he went with a friend, Roy Dale Green. They're hanging out. They saw a cute girl that was 15 or 16 years old. Pulled a gun on her and the two guys she was with, who were also around, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. He made the guys, he made all of them get in the trunk of their own car. Green drove their car and McDuff followed him. They went to a field off of a highway. Then then they, he had the girl get into his trunk. The guys were still in their own trunk. So he shot them like six times, killed the guys in the trunk. They wiped off the prints, left the car, and then they went to another location in McDuff's car. They raped her and he choked her with a piece of broomstick he had in his car. Then they dumped her in the bushes, and this happened in 1966. Green wound up turning himself in, and then McDuff got arrested as well because he was implicated. They both did time. Green did 11 years, and McDuff got out in 1989. The reason he got out is because the jail was overcrowded. Three days after he got out. He killed 31-year-old Serafia Parker. Then he got arrested for a parole violation, which was not murdering her, it was something else. So he was back in jail for a little bit, and he was out in 1990. So he must not have done much time because he got out in 89, and then he got back out in 90 from doing more time. 1991, he tied up a sex worker in his car and was driving her to a different location. He saw a roadblock. She tried kicking out the window, so he drives straight through the roadblock, ends up ditching the cops, takes her to a wooded area, tortures, and kills her. That same year, there's a 17-year-old sex worker he tied up. He killed her, and when she was found, her arms and legs were tied with her stockings. He and Alva Hank Worley kidnapped, tortured, raped, and killed a 28-year-old girl, also in 1991. Then in 1992, he had a sex worker that he strangled and then dumped on a golf course. Five days later, he kidnapped a pregnant 22-year-old girl from a store she worked in and killed her. 
The cops had a drugs and illegal gun warrant out for McDuff, so they they found out Worley was involved with him. They went to t- question him. Worley gave him up. Turns out he had run away. McDuff had. He had moved to Missouri. Well, a co-worker rec- recognized him on the news, but he was now going by the name Fowler. So he called the cops and he's like, look, this looks like my co-worker that's going by Fowler. They found Fowler in the database and the prints matched each other. So McDuff was Fowler. Fowler was McDuff. He got caught and was executed by lethal injection. His nicknames were the Broomstick Killer or the Broomstick Murderer. And how he got away, I would say it's because it was spread out in several different counties. Richard Biegenwald, 1958 to 1983. That's 25 years here in the United States. There were six to nine or more Vicks. Men and women, ages 17 to 47. He liked to rob and murder, shoot and stab in New York and New Jersey. He had an alcoholic dad who would beat him. He was into drinking, gambling, and arson by the age of eight. He wound up in a psychiatric hospital and received shock treatment. As he got older, he had trouble with robbery. 1958, he committed his first murder. Him and an accomplice held up a grocery store. He wound up shooting and killing the proprietor. He got arrested two days later and was released in 1975. In 1978 to 1982, he had three more murders, including a former cop informant and ex-con. He was shot. There was a woman he buried on his mom's property, a woman he stabbed and killed, and then put her on top of the other woman that was buried in his mom's property. Then he shot another woman. He was suspected of killing a 17-year-old girl found four miles from one of his other victims, but he was never charged. In 1982, he shot another man, an ex-con drug dealer, He shot an 18-year-old girl found by kids behind a Burger King. Isn't that a lovely field trip? A friend told the cops that Beganwald had shown him a dead body. And then when they talked to Beganwald's roommate, he admitted he saw it. And he said he even helped dispose of some of the victims. He showed him where five victims were buried. In the house when they searched, they found pipe bombs, handguns, rifles, shotguns, machine gun, roof and all, Coral hydrate, marijuana, a live puff adder, venom collecting apparatus, and floor plans for several notable houses and businesses. I admit, I didn't expect the uh, live puff adder. That one uh, probably surprised everybody. And the venom collecting apparatus, I am curious to know what the plan was there. Because obviously, when you put two and two together, they were going to try to collect venom from a puff adder, which I'm pretty sure a puff, puff adder has poison in them. I could be wrong. But regardless, they apparently had a reason for a a venom collecting apparatus. Unfortunately, I couldn't really find a whole lot more about it, but I will be digging in deeper to find out if uh, he ever said what the plan was there. (laughs) He got a death sentence, but it was commuted to life. He wound up dying in prison of natural causes. His nickname, The Thrill Killer. The thing that was frustrating about this one is, since I couldn't really find a lot about what he said why he did things and it was just basically like well he shot this guy he killed this woman so i couldn't find like he why he killed this former informant and ex-con i mean maybe it's just because of those words i said (laughs) so he was he was stabbing and shooting women but then he killed another ex-con drug dealer so i don't know if he had some kind of beef with them and that's why he was killing women and men i don't know he that's particularly interesting to me because he has kind of a more diverse pattern that he did 
that's the only other problem with doing these quick episodes where I just give you a glimpse of them, where I just give you a glimpse of them back to back. So I will be doing deeper dives into them and bringing them up more in other episodes and delving more. Gilbert Paul Jordan, killed from 1965 to 1987, which is 22 years, in Canada. He had 8 to 10 victims. They were women in bars and not all were sex workers. This one blew me away. I really was not expecting this. So he was an alcoholic that liked to rape and kill by alcohol poisoning. And I feel like, I don't know, that feels like it's not the most efficient method, but it is certainly an interesting method. He was a former barber, and he was the first person in Canada to use alcohol to kill. So that means there have been more, which is also intriguing and sad and scary. And it also makes me wonder, like, do they have notes of that here in the States? I don't know. I'm, I may have to look into that. It's, um, it's an odd thing to be able to uh, call yourself. I was the first person who uh, used alcohol to kill in my country. Feather in your cap. He had a criminal record since 1952 for rape, indecent assault, hit and run, abduction, car theft, and drunk driving. He was arrested in 1987, released in 1994. What he would do, he would go to a hotel and he would buy drinks for women or offer to pay them for sex. He would still pretty much always buy drinks for them, but some of them he would offer to pay for sex to get them in his room. They would pass out from drinking too much. Now, some of these women he would target because he knew that they were alcoholics or they had a reputation, you know, they already had issues. So they could, it, might, it would be easier to give them alcohol poisoning if they were already, like maybe they had already been drinking for a few hours. You know, like he targeted women that already looked drunk or had a history. He'd take them to his room. They'd pass out from drinking too much. He'd pour more down her throat. And then, voila, death will ruled as alcohol poisoning. It was an accident or, you know, I guess it could be suicide, I suppose. But mostly, mostly it was ruled as like an accident that they had, especially if the woman was known to be an alcoholic. Now, I looked into blood alcohol levels. Before 1998, it varied by state. In 1998, there was a law made that it was illegal for it to be 0.08 or more. I guess it, it's still states can decide if they want to be stricter with it. But, um, but that is 0.08 seems to be the standard. As far as I saw, apparently, if you get to 0.40 and over, you can go into a coma and maybe die of cardiac arrest. And I found that out from alcohol.org. So I believe it. <laughs> I did check a couple other sources and that seemed to be the common number. So the blood alcohol levels of his victims were 0 0.34, 0 0.41, 0 0.51, 0 0.76 and 0.79. So we see one, if the if 0 0.40 is the standard of maybe going to a coma, we have two that are right around there. And then we have three that are way ab above that. So they found two women in different hotels. His fingerprints were in the room. He was questioned but not charged. They did put surveillance on him. And it's a couple, refer a couple sources I saw. They said that this saved four women. So November 20th, November 21st, 25th and 26th, they were they intervened and saved four women. That's great. The thing that caught me from that, though, is after the first woman, how was he not charged with something? I guess maybe there was just by then, by the fourth one, they established a pattern. Like, okay, we found him with four, and we caught them before they died. But I guess I, I don't understand why it took four women that he almost killed to actually finally get charged. But 
who knows? At least four women were saved. I guess that's the point. Four women were saved and he was caught. So I guess we'll just focus on that. He wound up being charged with only one woman. He got 15 years. It was reduced to nine and he served six years. He gets out. And in 2000, he gets arrested for sexual assault, administering alcohol and negligence causing bodily harm. 2002, caught for a breach of probation for drinking with a woman, which he was not allowed to do. In 2004, he was caught drinking with a woman, but he was acquitted this time. So when he was finally released of all his charges at the age of 73, they put out a public warning about him. I guess I don't know a lot about it, but... And plus, this is in Canada, so I don't know if things have changed, if things are different than they are in the States. But apparently, they're able to say, okay, he's not allowed to consume alcohol. And he, it's a breach of parole if he has alcohol. He's not allowed to be in a place with a woman where there is alcohol. I think it's great because obviously he can't, he can't handle it. <laughs> so, and obviously they're paying attention to him because he was caught a couple times doing it. Although I guess even though there, he has probation, pro- this dude just apparently has trouble helping himself from drinking with women. I don't know. But I found it interesting that, that, that they're allowed to say you're not allowed to be drinking with a woman and you're not allowed to drink and or if it's a parole violation. But they did put out this big old warning. Like if you see this guy and you see him around a woman, make sure there's no alcohol and just make just watch out for him. Just be careful. His nicknames were the boozing barber and the alcohol murders. I would really like to think of a good Sweeney Todd joke, but with alcohol. And nothing is coming to mind. So if you think of a good Sweeney Todd alcohol-related joke that we could call him, let me know. So how he got away with the death world an accident, and there wasn't much to link with him, and he chose, you know, sex workers, or he chose women that it wouldn't be a surprise if maybe they died that way. Michael Wayne McGray, 1985 to 2010. That's a 23-year time span. This was in Canada. He had seven to 18 vic- victims or more, though he had seven, he confessed to seven and he was convicted of 11. He killed men and women ages 11 to 59. Most of his victims tended to be gay men, sex workers, and homeless drug addicts. Supposedly, he requested psychiatric treatment for demons and he liked to stab and strangle. He was active in six cities in Canada and also in Seattle. He claimed, there's no proof, but he claimed he had an alcoholic dad who was abusive, that there were sex predators at the group homes he grew up in, and that he was controlled by demons and asked for a psychiatrist. There was apparently a psychiatrist that found he had a severe form of Tourette's syndrome that prevented him from stopping himself from killing. (sighs) I mean, that can't be a thing, right? That's, that seems ridiculous to me. To reiterate, Tourette's syndrome isn't, isn't only vocal tics. It, it can be, it's not just like the, the popular thing is you say cuss words, but there are also other ones. There's, there are other types of vocal tics. I recommend for more education to watch a South Park episode where Cartman pretends to have Tourette's. That shows a few different forms of Tourette's and you know, that's probably one of the best places you can go for education, right? Now onto the details. In 1985, he killed a hitchhiker that was 17 years old. He committed a robbery and had an alleged accomplice. So he killed that alleged accomplice in 1987. He invited a man back to his apartment, stabbed him in the throat and chest multiple times. And then he returned to that same place and met another guy 
who invited McGray back to his apartment. He spent the night and then stabbed the guy to death. He was on a three-day weekend pass from prison. So on his three-day weekend pass from prison, he killed two people. He decided, you know what, I like being out, so I'm just going to hang out. I'm not going to go back. And then he was found two months later and rearrested. He wound up killing a woman and child in their apartment. The mom was found lying on the floor of the bathroom in a pool of blood, having been beaten, strangled, and her throat cut with a serrated knife. Her daughter was found hanging in her bedroom closet by a piece of rope after having been choked with the rope. He was arrested in 1998 for the murder of the woman and daughter and the two men. He confessed to murdering 11 people. Well, he, he got life, and while he was in prison, he killed his another inmate in 2010. I did not see any nicknames for him. Tommy Recco, 1960 to 1980, which is 20 years. He was French. He had nine victims. Now, I'll go through this, but it seems like the common theme is he killed people who got in his way. I'll dig into it so you can see uh, what I'm talking about. In 1960, he killed his godfather. He was fishing with dynamite, and a marine guard saw. The marine guard happened to be his godfather. He freaked out and shot him so he wouldn't get caught and have to pay a fine. I'm going to let that sink in. He wouldn't get caught and have to pay a fine, so he shot his godfather. He confessed, and then he retracted. He was arrested and went to prison until 1977. In 1979, he killed three cashiers. They were shot in the back of the neck and robbed. There were no witnesses. 1980, he killed three more people. That includes an 11-year-old. Supposedly, he wanted to buy a gun from the girl's dad. The dad refused. They fought. And the dad was killed. A neighbor was coming over to see what was going on. So Recco shoots the neighbor in the neck when the guy entered the house. He panicked when he realized the little girl was there and realized what was going on, and he killed her. He confessed and retracted, went to prison in 1983. He wound up being questioned about the 1981 disappearance of two French tourists. He denied it, but the cops found their swimsuits on his boat. So he said, look, I tried to seduce them. They resisted. I strangled them. Then I weighed them down and threw the bodies in the sea. Apparently, they didn't understand the implication. That is an It's Always Sunny reference. You're welcome. He got life, and I saw a news article in 2020 that said his suspension of sentence was denied, so he is still in prison. His nickname was Geronimo. Don't know why. Maybe don't want to know why. Christopher Chavez Quelar. 1990 to 2015, which is 25 years, was from Colombia. Six to 15 victims in three different states. He kidnapped, raped, butchered a woman, and moved. Quilar and his brother killed a guy in 1998 and got caught. He got 44 years, but he completed a minimum of years and was released. So I'm not sure what that minimum was, but he did a little time. They're like, okay, we'll go and let him go. He tried to kill a gas station manager in 2015 then later killed four young brothers, possibly because the parents wouldn't let him take some of their land. Makes sense to me. One brother lived and escaped. Quilar was caught, escaped, caught the same day, and then transferred to a more secure prison, which is good. He got 40 years. His nickname was The Soulless. He's another one where I don't understand because there's not a whole lot of information that I was able to find. I don't understand the pattern. I mean, because first it looks like a woman was killed, then they killed a guy, 
and then he tried to kill a gas station manager, and then he kills four brothers. So I, he's kind of all over the place, and since I don't know much more about it, I can't really surmise why he was killing people or, you know, what his deal was. Who knows? Charlie Brandt, 1971 to 2004, which is 33 years. In the United States, he killed four to six or more people. He killed in his family and some women in Indiana and Florida. He was a radar specialist, which enabled him to travel. In 1973, he shot his parents at age 13. His mom was pregnant. His dad lived. He tried to shoot his sister, but the gun wouldn't fire. The sister got him to calm down, ran away, and got help, and then the boy confessed. He went to a psychiatric hospital for a year, and he was never charged because he was 13. He was underage. So they put him in the hospital for a year and then let him out. This is very Mike Myers. This, this is like a real-life Mike Myers here. There, because there was nothing, when he was at the psychiatric hospital, they couldn't find anything that where he seemed like he had any issues. He just one day decided, I'm going to kill my family. Don't know. 2004, he stabbed his wife and niece to death. The niece was apparently decapitated, dismembered, with the heart and organs removed, and the head was placed next to the body. Then he went and hanged himself in the garage. After they found this scene and they looked into him, they started to look into other murders that were similar. They could link him to 26 unsolved murders all the way back to 1973. Possible murders that he committed. They found a 12-year-old's skull in a bucket. There was a 20-year-old who was beaten, stabbed, and dragged from her car, and her heart was missing. Now, they're not sure whether it was from a person taking it or if it was vultures. 38-year-old had her throat slashed, head almost severed, she was mutilated, and her heart was removed. 38-year-old sex worker, missing head and heart, was wrapped in plastic. So you can see why they would look at the heart missing and things to connect to the murder since he had killed his niece by taking off her head and removing her heart. He committed suicide by hanging himself. I did not see a nickname. And how he got away is I'm guessing it's because he traveled around and this, if he was killing in the 70s and 80s, DNA wasn't really, you know, that great. So we can see why he could go have gotten away with things. I've got two more for you, and then we'll do some comparisons. I'm sure you've all heard of Harold Shipman from 1975 to 1998, which is 23 years, in England. He was convicted of 15, but they can link him to like 215 to 250 or more people. His demographic was the, were the elderly. He would poison by lethal injection of diamorphine, which is also known as heroin. So when he was young, his mom was dying. I believe she had cancer. He would see the doctor bring morphine to her and she'd feel better. It is thought that that is why he grew up to kill people that way, because he thought of it as like a release. He became a doctor. And in 1975, he was caught for forging prescriptions for a powerful painkiller for himself. He was fined and sent to rehab. In 1993, he created his own practice and he was well respected. Then a woman at a funeral parlor noticed a high death rate from his practice and a high number of cremation forms being requested by him. There wasn't really enough evidence when she went to the cops about it. He killed three more and then he was finally arrested in 1998. He forged a will on his last victim and was sus suspicious. All of it went to him and not, none to her family. So it was obvious something was going on. So they did an autopsy and they found heroin. So he claims 
that she was an addict. And he's like, look at my records. You can see that I've recorded this. But they could prove that he had added those notes after she was dead. He was charged with 15 murders and got life. He wound up committing suicide by hanging himself in the cell. It was thought that he killed himself so his wife could get his pension because if he lived past 60, she wouldn't. And he killed himself at age 58. He was known as Dr. Death or the Angel of Death. And he got away with it for a while because they're elderly patients. And I mean, no one, I guess, was paying attention except for this one woman. So thankfully, this woman came forward and they were able to start collecting evidence and things. Of course, if he's getting sloppy and obvious where he's forging wills, where everything goes to him and none to the family, he's bound to get caught sooner or later. The Wests, Fred and Rose West. Now, I covered them in an earlier episode, so make sure you check that out because there's lots of details in that one. So I will get into a little bit here, but obviously not as much as I did in that episode. They were active from 1967 to 1987, which is about 20 years. Well, it is 20 years. In England, there were nine, possibly 13. Fred confessed to 20. His MO was lovers that got pregnant and then 15 to 21-year-old women. They enjoyed rape, torture, dismemberment, incest, burying people on their property, and he actually lets some go. So now we'll dig into it and I'll uh, give you a little detail. Fred had an affair on his first wife. She got pregnant and so he killed her. He met Rose, she got pregnant, and his wife left him but left their two daughters with him. Apparently he liked Rose, so they, they hit it off. So he didn't kill her when she got pregnant. He was okay with his wife leaving him so he could be with Rose. He started to sexually abuse his daughter, one of his daughters, but then he went to jail for theft. And while he was out, Rose killed her. And when he came home, she's like, whoops. And he said, that's okay, I'll bury her. And then they got married because they bonded. A bond is a bond, y'all. They bought a house and had, it was, it was a big enough house where they could have lodgers, and she became a sex worker. They told local children's homes and like runaway places that they could take in anyone who needed help, and this assured that they would get more teenage girls to come. I mean, teenage boys would come too, but they were more interested in the girls. Fred had what he called his torture chamber. He had made their cellar soundproof. He enlarged and deep in the cellar so an adult could stand in it with their arms stretched towards the ceiling. They had a nanny that quit, but they saw her walking one day and offered to give her a ride home, and she was like, okay. So they abducted her, raped her, and let her go. They have a ton of kids, so Rose is having kids at this point. They torture and molest his eight-year-old daughter from his previous marriage. He murdered three women in 1973, murdered two in 1974, In 1975, there was a girl who had stayed at their house, but had moved out and was coming back to visit, and they molested her. Rose also had some of her clients' kids at this point. And a side note, Fred was really into her being a a sex worker. So he would actually, like, had a peephole and would watch her, so he was all into it. 1977, there was a girl who was friends with the West and would often visit them over the years. They raped her and let her go, and she didn't talk out of shame. Also in 77, there was an 18-year-old sex worker and lodger who became pregnant with Fred's kid. So, of course, he murdered her. He buried her in the back garden along with her unborn child. He would have buried her in the cellar. He had been burying people in the cellar. So the cellar was full at this point. And, of course, as you would, 
they turned it into a kid's room. So their kids got the torture chamber as a bedroom. I'm pretty sure he filled in the hole, but who the fuck knows? 1979, his daughter Anne-Marie was impregnated by friend Fred, but she had an ectopic pregnancy and lost the baby. She finally left home and left that abuse. Then 17-year-old girl was raped, tortured, murdered, and buried in the back garden. Then the murders seemed to have stopped, unless they were buried someplace else. But nothing's been found about murders in like 1979 to 1987. What happened in 1987 that triggered murder is Heather admitted to a friend that she was being abused by her dad. But it turns out that her friend's dad frequented the West's house and told Fred and Rose about it. She was killed and buried under their patio. In 1992, they raped a girl and she went to the cops. When, they, when the cops came to the house, they found a video of Fred and Rose abusing kids. And then once they started to literally dig, they found bodies. Fred admitted to bodies in the cellar in the bathroom. He said he murdered them but denied raping them. And he took the blame for every murder. Apparently, he also liked taking their fingers and toes. Sometimes he took kneecaps, ribs, ankles, part of the vertebrae and the breastbone, but nobody knows what he did with them. And we'll never know because Fred hanged himself in his cell in 1995. Rose is still alive and in prison on 10 counts of murder. They were known to have the House of Horrors. Now, we'll go over the similarities. So out of these, the ones that killed sex workers were Eckert, McDuff, and McGray. Ones that enjoyed mutilation were Eckert, Brandt, and the Wests. Those that enjoyed robbery were Beigenwald, McDuff, McGray, Recco, and Fred West. People that shot their victims were Beigenwald, Recco, and Brandt. Those who got life were Das, McGarry, Jordan, Recco, Quillar, and Rose West. Committed suicide, Eckert, Brandt, Shipman, Fred West. Those who enjoyed strangling or suffocation, Eckert, McDuff, and McGray, kill, killed in several places. Das, Eckert, McGray, and Quelar enjoyed raping. McDuff, Jordan, Quelar, and the Wests. Those who killed in the same country. In Canada, it was Jordan and McGray. In England, it was Shipman and the Wests. Those who killed with some type of poison, Das, Jordan, and Shipman. So again, Das used arsenic mostly. Jordan used alcohol and shipment technically he used heroin which is like blood poisoning or whatever i found several of these people had done time at some point either in the midst of their murders or at the beginning before they started like after their first murder at some point they did time eckert mcduff recco quaylar and fred west so five of them had done time at some point killed both men and women mcduff Beigenwald and McGray. If they got stabby, it was Beigenwald, McGray, and Brandt. So it's also interesting that both Beigenwald and Brandt shot some of their victims and stabbed some of their victims. Now to compare all of them. So if you listen to the first part, I had a comparison for all of those. So now I'm going to do all of them throughout all of the episodes. Those who killed sex workers between the two episodes... Perez, Little, Yates, Ridgeway, Eckert, McDuff, and McGray. Mutilation, Perez, Borogerdy, Kroll, Eckert, Brandt, and the Wests. Robbery, Dekasiak, Keller, Philho, Little, Beigenwald, McDuff, McGray, Recco, and Fred West. So there's quite a few that had a thing with robbery. 
Those who shot their victims, Takasiak, Yates, Engelman, Beganwald, Recco, and Brandt. Those who had life, Engelman, Kroll, Raider, Yates, Ridgeway, Doss, McGarry, Jordan, Recco, Quaylar, and Rose West. Those who liked strangling and suffocation, Kroll, Little, Raider, Novosoyalov, Ridgeway, Tkach, Eckert, McDuff, and McGray. Those who killed in several places, Little, Novosoyalov, Ridgeway, Keller, Doss, Eckert, McGray, and Quaylar. Those who raped their victims, Borojerde, Novosoyalov, Tkach, McDuff, Jordan, Quaylar, and the Wests. Those that killed in the same area, in the Russia-slash-Ukraine, Novosoyalov, and Tkach. In Washington, we had Ridgeway and Yates. In Canada, Jordan and McGray, and England, Shipman and the Wests. Pedophiles were Borojerde, Novosoyalov, and Tkach. So ones that were in one group, but not the other. So out of the first group, we didn't have any that appeared in this second group. So the first one, we had people who disposed of bodies by or in the river, people who used treats to entice their victim. We had lower IQs, necrophiles, DNA caught them. They masturbated over their victims. They were religious, killed with a blow to the head, or they were government or some kind of official capacity. So none of those categories applied to this group of serial killers. And in this group that didn't apply to the first group, no one poisoned in the first group, had done time before that I noticed, and none of them had killed both men and women. Out of that group of, I think it's like 24 serial killers, it's kind of interesting to see you know, how many of them killed sex workers, how many of them robbed, how many of them got life, how many killed themselves, and and to see the things that weren't common among the different groups. And I found it interesting that amongst the groups, like the first group, it just happened that like two people threw people in the river and four of them were necrophiles and that kind of thing. But none of them were in the second group. But in the second group, I found poisoners and people who killed men and women. So just grabbing a group of serial killers out of the air that had this the decade thing in common... I was able to find things that were they had in common within those groups separately. And then some that, you know, when you put them together, they had some things in common. So it's always interesting when you start putting them together and seeing what commonalities and, and things that you can find or things that are different. I'll go over quickly those who were active at the same time in this second group. So in the second group, DOS was not active during any anyone else that was in this specific group. Eckert was active with everyone. McDuff was active with everyone except Doss, of course, McGray and Quaylar. Beigenwald was not active with McGray or Quaylar. Jordan was not active with only Quaylar and just a little bit with McGray. McGray was active with everyone except Beigenwald. Recco was active with everyone except for McGray and Quaylar and just a little bit with Shipman. Quaylar was not active with Beigenwald, Recco, Jordan, and the Wests. Brandt was active with everyone, and so was Shipman. And Wests was, were active with everyone, except for Quaylar. So Quaylar kind of hung out on his own a little bit there. I was going to get into who was active at the same time out of all 24 serial killers, but that was getting to be a lot. And, I mean, even just the information I gave you just then with just, like, 11 serial killers is still kind of a bit. So I'm going to come up with a chart because that's how I figured it out as I made, like, a little graph. So I'll make a graph and I'll post it on the Facebook and on the website so you can see who was active because it gets 
it gets pretty crazy. There's quite a few active at the same time. The the main ones, like, at the very beginning, it was just like Perez and Borogeri were active at the same time. And then Borogeri was just active with Takesia and Das. And that's about as simple as it gets, <laughs> as far as I can see so far. As when we get to the earlier parts, there aren't as many that killed together. But as you start getting deeper into the years, there's all kinds of people active with each other. So I'll post a chart to show you who was active when, because I think that's also an interesting thing to see. This one, I would say I had lesser known serial killers in this group, and there were some that aren't in any of my serial killer books, and I just happened to find them on Wikipedia, which, again, I like Wikipedia, but just always double check it, because when I looked at their like killer serial killers by number, and they named some, some of the years weren't completely accurate. Some of them I had to take off of my list, but, you know. That's what happens when you research. And that's why we research. Again, I will be covering more of these people as we go. And I will dig deeper into them. Coming up, um, we have another Igor episode. And I believe the next episode after that with me only is I'll be going over the Netflix series Mindhunter, which is two seasons long. Unfortunately, they did not renew it. I believe it was, um, I read it was due to how expensive it is to make the show, which is unfortunate because I did enjoy it. I've only seen this first season so far, so maybe I'll change my mind during the second season. I don't know. So I'm going to talk about the series and compare it to the book because I read the book first before I even knew it was going to be a series. I'm rereading the book and I'm going to compare the book to the show and I'm going to compare what is said in the show about the serial killers and whether those were accurate or not. I'll be doing that. And there'll be other goodies coming up. We'll, um, we'll have some more from Igor. We'll have another episode with Igor and I together. We will eventually be discussing baby farmers. And if you don't know what that is, it is not like Cabbage Patch. So if you know the Cabbage Patch babies, it's not like that. It's more like uh, Think Closer to Motel Hell. <laughs> it's a little bit closer to that. Anyway, keep an eye out. Stay tuned. And uh, as always, we appreciate you. Can't wait to start seeing people in public again. Get those shots and protect yourself. Thank you for entering the lab. If you enjoy the experience and experiments of Murder Lab, go to Facebook, Instagram, and MurderLabMedia.com for updates. Share with your friends, those you created in a lab or not, as long as they can subscribe and listen, we'll take it. Murder Lab is available on Google Play and iTunes. The RSS feed is on MurderLabMedia.com for you to plug into your podcast app. We can always use more lab rats. You're welcome.